Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast, a podcast for inspired parents. I'm Melissa. And I'm Kristen. I'm a parent of two little girls and the founder of Inner Architects. I love guiding parents and giving them a space to meaningfully connect, communicate effectively, break cycles, and learn to intentionally parent their kids. I'm an educator, a children's book author, and founder of Language Ninjas. With Language Ninjas and my books on the power of our words, parents and kids are given tools to empower their language. On this podcast, we are highlighting parents and educators who are choosing to mindfully show up differently for kids. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Purposeful Parent Podcast. Today, we're touching on an important conversation with our our guest, Aaron Janetti. He is the owner and head instructor of Endeavor Fitness, Defense and Fitness. He has written a book and leads programs on how to survive an active shooter mass violence event. And Aaron has toured the U.S. training groups on how to survive an active shooter. And so we've invited him on today to talk to us about teaching safety to kids with um, around weapons and to learn more from him as well. So Aaron, we're happy to have you today. That's good to be on. I love it. It's a, a great topic and important one. And uh, one I, I think is should be discussed more. Uh, mm-hmm. that goes. So I'm excited. Yeah. So yeah, this, um, this topic can be heavy, but it's also a very important topic. So we're looking forward to digging into this with you and we'd love to get a background about you and what you do and yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, I run a training center in Columbus, Ohio. So right in central Ohio. And um, it's broken into two parts. One half of the gym does strength, conditioning, fitness. Uh, the other half of the gym does self-defense, martial arts, fighting. Um, and then as like a tertiary, like, ex, you know, extension of that business, um, we also teach seminars. So we teach uh, uh, how to use a handgun. So we teach defensive handgun skills. Um, I travel around the country and teach uh, surviving not only active shooter seminars, but also dealing with somebody attacking you with a knife, which is a, a terrifying incident, um, something that can happen there. Um, and then I've also gone into schools. Uh, I'm on the health and safety committee, actually, for um, the school that my children are in to deal with a lot of their security protocols as well. Um, so that's what I do professionally. Um, I travel around and I, I teach. Um, you know, I tell people I'm a teacher. Uh, I just happen to pick a space that is terrifying for a lot of people to discuss. Um, and, uh, luckily built off of a lot of like the enlifted program stuff that, that we know very well and the language stuff. Um, I'm in an intricate position where I have the communication skills and the language skills. I have the self-defense skills and the knowledge in that space. And then I'm also a father. So I have the, at least the parenting experience to this point, um, to be able to have intricate conversations, especially in the space of what we're going to discuss today. Um, on that point. So professionally, that's, that's the rundown. Um, as you mentioned, I wrote a book back in 2016 on surviving an active killer. I'm um, actually in the process of outlining a book, um, essentially along the lines of how to protect your kids. And it's the entire scope of protecting your kids. Most people think of protecting their kids as, you know, the self-defense measures, but it's also going to be like leading a healthy lifestyle so that they lead a healthy lifestyle. So they live longer. It's also going to be the the mental and psychological awareness parts of it, because we all know that unfortunately suicide is a big part with uh, kids in the teenage. So it's going to be a 
holistic look at if you want your kids to survive and thrive throughout life. Um, you know, what does that entail? So uh, working on that and uh, hopefully I'll get that out in the next year. Like hopefully <laughs> my schedule's been crazy, but that's the game plan there. So. Oh, I'm really excited for that book. Um, we were just, Chad and I were just having a conversation this morning about um, our new neighbors and their little girl. And she's nine and she's just over here today because she's off from school for Veterans Day. And um, she's like, yeah, well, I had to go back to the doctor to re-up my meds for my ADHD. And then I, you know, my head always hurts. And then the doctor was pushing on my stomach. And then my brother can't go to baseball anymore because he has anxiety. And then, you know, but I have my phone. So I wanted to look like, and I'm like, my head was just swirling. And I'm like, oh my God. So um, it's a a lot, man. Kids these days. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's our, you know, at us, I say our, as in like the parents, you know, it's, it's our bane and push downstream on them. But I mean, I, you know, I was, I was born, uh, you know, 86 and I always think like, man, late eighties, early nineties, it was, you woke up, you got on your bike, you rode across town, you climbed trees, got in trouble. You came home when the lights came on and man, it's, uh, it's heavier nowadays. And I think that, you know, again, as, as we're going to talk about that, puts even more importance on, you know, what kind of a lifestyle are we living to, to model for them and then to work that upstream too. So it's, that's fascinating. I think about that all the time with the kids. It's like, Oh man, like it's heavy out there. Like you shouldn't be hearing nine-year-olds talk about anxiety and, and, and things like it's like, Holy I mean, crap. and the way she said it, she was like, yeah, you know, I had to leave school early to go re up my meds for my ADHD. I'm like, who, what nine-year-olds is re up their meds? Mm-hmm. Like, oh God, it just like turned my stomach, you know, it's sad. Yeah. Before we get into the stuff that you do professionally, let's talk about you as a dad. So, right. um, you know, obviously our podcast is called The Purposeful Parent. Um, talk to us about some of the ways that you're doing that in your life. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a, in a broken household. So my parents uh, divorced when I was three, um, you know, I don't remember a lot, obviously, because I was so young when they got separated. I know that, uh, you know, my dad wasn't the greatest, um, from what I understand. Again, you know, memories at that age are a little sketchy, so I try not to rely heavily on those. However, uh, it, it was it was rough. He was, uh, from my understanding, like very do as I say, kind of smacked us for no reason. Nothing heavy abusive on the kids, but the abuse towards my mom was was very obvious and apparent. Um, and then he was diagnosed bipolar, things like that. So I grew up in a broken household. I didn't have exactly a great father figure uh, in my actual father. But my mother, on the other hand, was, you know, heroic in all deeds. You know, she raised three kids, worked her ass off, um, you know, pretty much sacrificed a lot of her joy and dreams to make sure that we could survive and get to where we had to. So, you know, I had stark examples from both sides. Um, I also was very blessed. I had my grandfather made a huge impact on my life uh, on my mom's side. Um, and then my uncle as well. And they stepped in and, and were father figures. And my brother too. My brother was about five years older and unfortunately was, was thrust into maturity a little earlier than he needed to. Um, so in spite of all that, you know, coming up, the, the, when my son was born, so I have a, a six and a half year old and then I have a five year old. Uh, and when my son was born, my oldest, uh, I was terrified that I would be like my father. And I had, I had a stage. I was a very spiteful kid, especially through my 
like late teens, uh, early twenties, where I did everything in spite of my dad. I was very angry. I was very, you know, heated. I've, I've actually, I think we talked about that uh, on a previous podcast, uh, Christian on the pirate mm-hmm. one, but um, you know, that was, that was rough. And I had, I had done a lot of soul searching up to that point. This was even before strong coaching and lifted. And I had come to peace with the relationship I had with my father by the time my son was about, but there was still that, that heavy shadow of like, you know, shit, man, could I, could I revert back to that? You know, like bipolar is something that sometimes you can mask and then like it kind of hit into your thirties and it can hit pretty hard. And I was 30 when my son was born. So it was, it was, I was terrified uh, if I'm being completely honest. Um, And so it was, you know, luckily my wife, Kim is fantastic. And we talk through things a lot. We both read a lot and we took like, like I bought the manuals on how to be the good husband during, you know, pregnancy and labor. Like I was, I was in it. I wanted to know everything about everything. Um, so I, I was very much like, I will be a good dad. I will figure this out. Uh, I know I'm going to screw a bunch of stuff up. We all do. Um, but I will do everything in my power to be there. So that, that weight I felt helped in regard because it, you know, for me, it was a reminder that was like, okay, like, what were some of the things that, at least from my remembrance stories that I'd heard that maybe were bad circumstances, both from my dad and from my mom? And that's one thing that came out, I think, <clears throat> during the strong coach era uh, was evaluating even the people that we put up on a pedestal. Like maybe what did we learn from them that could also be bad habits? And one of the things with my mother is she is an empath through and through. So she absorbs everybody's pain. And, you know, the, the victim mentality on that can be pretty heavy. And I put a huge value on sacrifice and not, you know, never really taking anything for myself and some things like that. And we all know that can wear you down and tear you down over the years. You can, you know, muscle through that and grit through that with, you know, a little bit of bourbon and testosterone for a while, but after, after a bit, it's, it's going to start to catch up. So I was able to, to start separating their story, you know, Hey, they did the best they could with what they had, especially the circumstances my mom went through. Um, but I, I'm going to write this own, this little different story over here. So that was huge right out of the gate. You know, the, uh, I, I think almost every parent at some point in time was like, well, I was raised this way. So obviously it worked out. And it's like, that's, it's kind of a crock of shit. It's like the, the goal is to be better no matter what. So it's like, I, I fell into that for about the first year or so uh, and started figuring some of that stuff out. So um, it's always been really important for me to present myself in a way. I also know that I did grow up again. I don't want to say disadvantaged. I thought my childhood was great, but things were a little rougher for me than they're going to be for my kids. Cause we're in a happy, like my wife and I are absolutely love each other to death. Uh, so we're happy, we're healthy. You know, we show them love, we model them. We have pretty good money, you know, as far as some things go. So I grew up a little rougher. I have to remember that. And I know that going into it, it's like, it's not supposed to be hard for you. It's, I want to find opportunities to give you lessons and to make you understand and appreciate it. But, you know, you don't have to live. Yeah. I always joke around, like you don't have to eat ramen noodles and peanut butter for three months because you didn't have money. You know, your family didn't have money. It's, it's like, you don't have to do that to understand the same lessons. And so that's something that's always heavy on my mind. I'm always looking to make sure that I, I understand my triggers and my position so that I can model the best way possible. Um, I'm like the third time right now through the whole brain child, which is just such a good book. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read through that one, that's been super helpful. And so like making sure that I'm reading and keeping my mind, educating myself continually so that I stay in that space. That's also been really big for me. So um, long story short, 
like I like taking on the role of father has been one of the best roles ever. Uh, and so I take it very seriously. I treat it like I treat like the martial arts and everything else that I've gotten into. Um, knowing full well that I screw some stuff up, you know, like just the other day I, I, you know, snapped at my son and was like, Oh fuck. Okay. I got to take a step back. I got to go breathe. I got to figure this out. Uh, and it's a wild ride, but it's a ride that I've realized it's like you get, you get out of it, what you're going to put into it. And that to me is like the most important job, like 20 years after I'm dead, where the kid's at, you know what I mean? Like, are they set up for where they're at? And did we set them up for that? So I know it's a long winded explanation of the way I view parenthood, but you can see like where my brain goes with it. Like I'm just so, so obsessed with the role. Like I just, yeah, I love being a parent as far as that goes. And it's, it takes work. Um, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of fumbling and it takes a long process. And, uh, the more you put into it, the more you focus on it, the better off you're going to get at the end of it. So I think that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, sounds like you're doing a great job. And uh, I am. thank God my, my wife is the true North on everything with all this. So thank God I've got a, I got some support there too. Yeah, I, I agree. I'll, I'll, uh, contest to that as well that um you know my relationship with chad is is very helpful when it comes to parenting our parenting styles are very different and we balance each other out very well so yeah yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. it's good <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, little, a little yin yang goes a long way you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so uh now we know you a little bit um mm-hmm. let's dive into how did you start your business why did why was what you're doing, something that you even became interested in personally. Yeah. Um, so uh, I told you my grandfather was a big role in my life. Uh, he passed away uh, September 2007. And it, there was a bit of a, a shit storm, if I'm allowed to say shit, uh, storm of things uh, that happened all at once. And like I said, I was, I was, a, I was an emotional kid um, leaning towards the, the anger spite side of things. So I was in a, a decently dark place. My girlfriend had just broke up with me. Uh, my grandfather just passed away. I couldn't pay for college. So I had to take time off college. And it was just a rough spot uh, as far as that goes. And I happened to find a gym uh, that taught Krav Maga. It was called Ohio Krav Maga Fitness. And I showed up and I took an intro class and was like, I need to be here. Like I'm, I'm either going to lean heavily into drinking and doing dumb shit, or I'm going to find a, a way to let some of this energy off. And so I found Krav Maga. Um, I never left that place. Uh, I signed February 6, 2008. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life. Uh, it's very life-changing for me. And that place and the focus on that art and the community was a huge part of it. Um, really made such an impact in my life that I, I don't, I don't know that I could step away from it. It's like it, it, you know, you look at like core memories and core points in your life. And that was just such a huge part of my life. Uh, it continues to be a huge part of my life as far as like keeping me fulfilled and giving me a skill set, things like that. Um, I couldn't imagine not doing it, um, you know, negation knowledge there. But the, the one thing that really drives me from a, from a, like nowadays is I've seen that same impact on other people's lives. And once you do that, and then it's just like, you know, it's one thing to get the satisfaction out of you, but it's another thing. Like the first time somebody comes, you know, and we're in the self-defense space. So, you know, the first time somebody comes and they're like, you know, look, uh, uh, you know, I was violently beaten by my ex-husband and I finally had the courage to get away and, 
you know, I was in and out of therapy and then I came here and all of a sudden, you know, going through this stuff, like I'm more confident and I'm more joyful and all that type of stuff. Like the second you get a story like that and it's like, fuck, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. Um, so that's what keeps me in it. You know, it, it made it such a huge impact in my life and I saw how life-changing it was um, building into that. And then as I continued with it, uh, you know, it just, I saw what it did to other people and that now is why I stay in it um, for sure. At the time, admittedly, I, I needed to fight. Pe- like I needed to be there uh, and I wasn't going to finish landscape architecture. Like I just, it wasn't going to happen in any way, shape or form. Uh, so the second I figured out that maybe I could turn it into a career, I like latched onto that. And you talk about like jumping and just hoping to God it works out. Like I was young enough, dumb enough, didn't need any money. You know, I worked my first six months for a thousand dollars a month. I worked like 60 to 70 hours a week. I mean, it was insane. Um, but I'm here and I, and I, it, it's something that touched me and impacted me and, and I'm good at it. Uh, and you know, since then I've hit the ground running and every year gets a little better than the last, even through, you know, a nightmare like COVID and having a business shut down and everything else. It's like, well, I'll figure it out. So, uh, yeah. So that's why I'm here and why I keep doing it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so from there to what led you to writing your book, um, and then doing <laughs> the trainings. Yeah. Um, the active shooter thing, um, was, it was a mixture of a couple of things, uh, early on about 2009 was the first at the time it was, it was considered like workplace violence, school violence. Um, uh, but the first workplace violence seminar I went to was actually run by one of our coaches. His name was Matt Kissel. He was a sergeant uh, for one of the local police stations. And uh, we would run specialized seminars all the time. Uh, the school, like workplace violence stuff, we would maybe run one or two a year. Uh, you know, it was something that was on people's minds, but not really that much on people's minds. It was more like a specialty seminar at the time, like a niche seminar. And then uh, I kept helping him out with those, participated in several of them. Uh, demoed in several of them. And then I had taught and assisted alongside uh, uh, Mark Slane, who was a mentor of mine at the time. And uh, in 2013 is when we opened up Endeavor. So I left the old gym. Um, You know, my mentor, Mark had moved away and things were changing over there. So I stepped away from there. I opened up our own facility. And then it was about 2014, uh, a gentleman named Rob Pincus started another program. Um, It was called the School Attacker Response Course. It was focused very specifically on schools. Um, so I started participating in that. We started running seminars and lectures for that. And then end of 2015 is when, uh, you had the, uh, Paris attacks, the, the multiple attacks with like Vatican theater and the other, uh, spaces, the choreographed, uh, terrorist attack. And then, uh, also San Bernardino and they happened pretty close to each other. Um, so we hosted a seminar for free. We just put it out on Facebook and said, Hey, you know, Friday night from five o'clock to seven o'clock, completely free to the public. Anybody's welcome, all backgrounds. You know, if you're, if you're worried about maybe what to do in these situations, we're here for you. And we, we had a huge group of people show up. It was like 45 or 50 people showed up. Um, and so we, we said, all right, like, let's do another one. Uh, so we hosted another one. I think we hosted two the next week. One of them, uh, an instructor of ours was also a videographer and he said, Hey, can we come in and film this and do a, a mini documentary on it? And I said, absolutely. So he came in and filmed one of the sessions and they took about like three and a half or four hours of footage and interviews and boiled it down to like one of those like three minute videos. Uh, and they knocked it out of the park. Um, now at the time, 
he worked for a company that then would essentially like sell things off. Uh, and so the, the blaze uh, of all areas picked, actually picked it up and we hit, I mean, I think it was something like 5 million views in a week. I mean, it was like their highest hitting, you know, whatever. And so we started getting phone calls uh, and like, Hey, do you take this show on the road? And at the time we hadn't, um, but you know, any, any good business model is when somebody asks you, if you have a business, you say yes. Uh, so uh, the first call we got was a, a career college in Oregon and they said, Hey, do you take this on the road and work with universities? And we said, absolutely. We work with universities. Uh, and so we, we, that was in December that uh, we put that video out and January 6th, we were in Oregon teaching our very first one. And then in 2016, I taught a little more than 80 of those seminars that entire year um, in, I don't know, I think the last count was like 33 states or something. It was all over the place. Um, so anyway, how that led to the book was we, we were really getting such immense positive feedback from everybody. Like this is such an accessible program and it's an honest program. That was the one thing we kept hearing was like, there's no fluff. There's no BS. You're very honest about what's going on. Um, and the answer uh, to the book thing was like, well, how do we reach more people? Like, how do I answer questions I'm getting? You know, the group I had in January, well, now it's September and we've learned new things from January to September. So now how do I supply them with information that we didn't have in January? Um, and so that's when the book uh, idea came to light. And uh, so I, uh, January 1st, 2017, I woke up one hour early every morning for six straight months and wrote for an hour. Uh, until the manuscript was done and then figured out the, the self-publishing process, had that book published uh, and shipped out. The first copy is shipped out in December of 2017. Um, and it went from there. And at the time, it was really just like, how do we get as much information to people as possible? Like, how can I walk into a program now and be able to say like, hey, thank you for coming to this program. By the way, take this book home with you. It's got everything we talked about it and more in it. Um, and so that's what led to the, to the publishing of the first book. Very cool. I, I met you at one of your workshops and um, you said that you're good at this. And I agree, you are. Um, you're, you're, you're very um, fun to listen to, but you also do make it so very accessible to someone that has maybe no knowledge or maybe no experience with any of this. And, you know, I walked away feeling more empowered, feeling more curious, feeling ready to continue the process of learning. Like what we did that weekend was very, you had a very small part that weekend, but it was, it was the perfect, you know, jump off point for me to feel empowered to continue to learn this. Um, yeah. So it, during that time, um, during that workshop, you mentioned, we did things like put a tourniquet on and um, we did some handgun stuff. And you mentioned that your kids are, you, you, this is something you talk to them about and they have some of these skills themselves already at, you know, six years old. Um, talk to us about how you talk to your kids, um, why you feel it's important to even have these conversations with your kids. And then, you know, I want to dive into if parents do have handguns in their home or they're hunting or something like that, like what, what does that look like in front of children? Yeah. So those are, those are all great questions. Let's um, so let's uh, let's sidebar like the gun ownership as a separate conversation. And let's talk about, um, you know, introducing kids, starting to introduce kids to skill sets and ideas that 
prepare you to be able to manage very terrible situations, right? Um, uh, for instance, like applying a tourniquet and things like that. So obviously, anytime we're introducing children to anything, and it's not even just children, this is also adults too. So I, you know, children are a little more uh, sensitive to it. The impact can be a little bit longer by the time you get to the adults. If they have any timidness towards the conversation, it's already been instilled at some point, And that's a, a little bit of a different direction. Now we're trying to reverse the process with the kids. It's we're not, we don't want to start the process of fear. You know, we want to create understanding uh, and curiosity as opposed to fear, right? As an adult, it's like, okay, you're already fearful. Like now we have to go the opposite direction. Now we got to do some story work and figure out where that fear comes from and bring you back. So that's a, a whole nother thing. But with kids, they're, kids love information, right? Now, the type of information we give them is super important to understand. And again, you know, for everybody listening, this is, this is solely my experience and my opinion on the backside of this. It's all I can weigh into it. Um, but we have to be very, very, very cautious of the information we give them. But if we do not give them any information and then they're abruptly confronted with that type of information in a way that's not delivered appropriately, it's more likely to create long-term scars, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you talk about something like, uh, uh, like violence or dealing with an active shooter or things along those, we want exposure, but we want meaningful exposure, right? So if we take, you know, again, I keep referring back to the, the thing with the tourniquet and I'll send you the video. I, I think you guys might've seen it of my daughter. She's five years old. Uh, and she made a video that I posted online where she's teaching how to apply a tourniquet. She's five That's in amazing. perfectly clear English. And she even has like instructor mannerisms. Like it's fascinating <laughs> to watch. She'd be like, you do this right here. Like you do this type thing. So I'll send you the video. It's adorable. She's been listening uh, to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> but in the case of something like that, like if you have to apply a, a tourniquet to somebody, that's a terrifying situation because the assumption of applying a tourniquet is that we are losing so much blood so fast that things are going to go bad very quickly. Like we're talking, you know, possible uh, uh, loss of life here. So the, the context around applying a tourniquet is most likely terrifying, especially if somebody that doesn't understand it. However, the tool is, is the tool. It's a skill. And just like anything else, if I expose you to the tool we get good at that. We start to understand what that tool is. Now we can start having conversations about why the tool would be in there. And we can lay, we can, we can uh, uh, put those conversations in a, in a meaningful manner, mostly off of tone and detail. And then, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> and then as they age, then we can add layers of context and layers of conversations. Um, you're also setting some things up to be able to then answer questions, right? Like you get to certain ages where kids, you know, either hear from other kids in school or they hear uh, conversations about like active shooters or violence taking place at school. And now they have questions and respectfully to most teachers, the teachers are not supplied with the right information to actually answer the questions. And then there's also in a public school setting, there's going to be the liability. It's like, what's the teacher even allowed to say mm -hmm. without having, Nothing. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot, their hands are tied behind their back. And again, it's, that's, you know, unfortunately like sidebar conversation. It's like, well, it kind of is your job now. You've been forced upon you to have knowledge on this. 
but that's not what you signed up for. And I do understand that. And it's also, you're not being supplied with good training. So it's not their job to supply that information. Um, it's no one else's job to supply that information. It is the parent's job to supply this information, to be the one that is curating as much as possible, the exposure the kids have in every avenue of life to be a part of that exposure um, and to get into that because you should be the most trusted source. And if you're going to have a conversation about something this deep, it, it should come from the trusted source. Right. So for instance, with the tourniquet, uh, teaching the kids, the first couple of times I taught them how to apply a tourniquet, I just made it fun. It was a game. Hey, let's learn a new skill. Uh, you're going to take this, we're going to, you know, put it high on the arm. We're going to pull it as tight as possible. Like pull, 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 get everything you got into it, you know, apply it onto there and then give it a good turn and crank and go from there. And it didn't have to be about what the tourniquet was for. It was just, here's a tourniquet, right? Let's start looking at this. Let's start getting exposed to it. It's a very simple tool to use. The, the reason that it's so baffling to most people is they just haven't been exposed to it. But, you know, again, like Melissa, we threw those on super fast at that seminar. It takes, you know, mm -hmm. two minutes to learn how to apply one. Yes, you should definitely practice with it to be able to do it under stress. But, but realistically speaking, it's not a, a, a complex tool to use. So, you know, you teach them, you expose them to that. And then if they have questions, I answer the questions. I answer them with the, the minimum amount of information that they need to a context that they need it at. At five, six, seven years old, you know, you can keep it very simple. Well, you know how if you get a cut, like, yeah, okay. Well, you know how when we get bad cuts, we have to do different things, right? Yeah. Well, if I have a really, really, really bad cut and I'm losing a lot of blood, this is a tool that can help me in that case to shut that down. They don't need to know if somebody breaks in the house and tries to murder everybody in the family, we can use tourniquets to try to stay alive. That's not the context they need, but they can understand the skill set, and then they can understand that there's a such thing as scrapes, cuts, really big cuts, and emergency cuts. We can start to understand what those concepts are, and so they can start to wrap their head around that. Um, so we build to that as they get older, as they have more questions, as things come back. Now they have a, a, a jump off point to have those discussions instead of going straight to, we haven't talked about this at all. I have zero exposure to it in any way, shape or form. And now I have a barrage of questions that they're answer, asking me. And it's like, holy hell, how do I even approach this? Right. So the earlier I can expose them to very, the base minimum concept of bad things can happen. When they do happen, there are things that we can do to take care of the bad things. And let's start to understand that process. And then that starts to give the kids, I was about to say people, because it does give people everybody, but that starts to give the kids an understanding that just because things are going bad, doesn't mean they all always stay bad, right? Things can go bad. Things can be really bad. We know that we have bad days and those bad days can also be good days, right? Like we start to understand the emotional side of it. Um, well, that can happen in the context of physical, right? So I can have little boo-boos. I can have big boo-boos. Uh, those boo-boos can take a really long time to deal with and they can still be dealt with. And those boo-boos can end up being, you know, what, what, you know, takes us at the end of the day. Um, and the more we can be able to approach them in a meaningful manner and have an honest conversation about it, in my opinion, the better off. Hmm. It's like when kids start asking about death and they have questions about death, it's like, you can't hide that. You, you want to, they're in that moment. There's a way to deliver that information. And you find that fine line between avoiding the topic or making something up 
and being able to start allowing them to process the fact that death is a thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it doesn't need to necessarily be emotion tied to it the way we deliver it. Right. Obviously the emotions that they have, whenever you have these discussions, will judge, you know, how far we take the discussion and where we go from that. But kids, kids want information. They're not afraid of, of learning. They're afraid of being, in my experience, of being immediately confronted with something they don't understand mm-hmm. uh, and, and not having a source of understanding in that perspective, right? Um, so to, to bundle this up, right, in every situation is going to be a little bit different, but there are skill sets that we can teach them. You know, again, from an active shooter perspective, I don't need to teach them to barricade their door to keep the bad guy away, but we can play a game of, how fast can you move a bunch of stuff in front of the door and you can create a name to the game and you can put something around it. And then that way, if something violent were to happen and we did need that to take place, we can call out that game by name and they have something to focus their attention on. Right. And no, it's look, it's not a five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds job to protect themselves. But the unfortunate truth about violence is we cannot always protect our kids. We can't. Like I'm going to hop on a plane Thursday and I'm going to fly to Boston and I'm going to be in Boston until Saturday night. And from Thursday morning until Saturday night, I cannot protect my kids. So you can say all you want as a parent. And then we run into this a lot. Like if anybody ever messed with my kids, I just kill them. It's like, okay, but you're not there. So the Mm -hmm. best way to, to help your children survive is to start teaching them how to care for themselves to a certain extent, right? In, in age appropriate and little levels and stuff like that. And now imagine a kid that, you know, God forbid, you know, is 12 years old and they find themselves in a school and somebody is shooting the school up. But imagine a kid that starting from age five was exposed to tourniquets, had a couple of very, very simple yet honest conversations about bad things happening has played a couple games and practiced maybe barricading a door, understands how to, to you know, if running away from the, the you know, figure in charge, i.e. your teacher in this case is the safest thing that you dictate, then run away from your teacher. Like things along those lines, like understanding they're allowed to do that and having seven years of practice by that time, that kid is not only going to be in a better position to manage a God-awful situation, but the long-term effects of what that situation does to them afterwards, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, is going to be significantly deterred or lowered Mm. because it wasn't, I don't know anything. And then all of a sudden I'm thrust into a situation that is incomprehensible. Um, Mm. So it's, you know, you can build out the physical skill sets. You answer questions. That's, that's one of the biggest things I think I learned. And we learned that from the preschool we set the kids from. They do these awesome parent ed uh, talks. And my wife now teaches there. Uh, and they do these awesome parent ed talks. And that was one, I think, one of the most powerful ones that I was at when they were talking about uh, uh, essentially birth and death. And it was like, look, kid asks you about babies. Don't make up shit about cranes and, or storks and shit like that. Like, <laughs> you can have a, a reasonable conversation about how babies are. Same thing with death. They start asking about death. It's totally natural for them to be asking about death and curious about death. So answer the questions. You know, you have honest, meaningful, age-appropriate conversations about those things when they're asked. And then if a, a, a situation comes up, I can have a meaningful conversation that I initiate instead of them initiating. 
And again, it's just based age appropriate. What information do they need uh, and get from there? And that's going to be different from kid to kid. But the first place that it's going to start is going to start with the parent educating themselves. Because I can't have a conversation about physics if I don't understand basic mathematics. Right. And that unfortunately is where we're at with active shooters is most people learn how to defend themselves against an active shooter from the HR department at work or from the teachers at school. Mm -hmm. And that is two groups of people that are not equipped with the information they need to be teaching that type of information. So as a parent, you do have the ability to go take trauma classes and learn how to apply tourniquets and chest seals and uh, uh, be able to deal with situations like that. You have the ability to go take a self-defense class, to go educate yourself deeper, to buy some reading material and take that seriously. Uh, and then you'll be in a position to have the conversation, um, you know, again, in a meaningful manner, because if I know a thousand things about active shooter defense, I have a better chance of distilling down the three things that my kid needs to know at age six than if I know five things. And now I'm trying to distill only five things down to the three things that are age appropriate. That's, that's a very complicated process. And um, I haven't forgotten <coughs> this thing happened until um, you started talking, but soon after I moved out to Oregon, very soon after I started my job in childcare, there was uh, there was an active shooter at a high school near me um, where I was working. Um, they had, I don't, they had called the parents, come back up their kids from the high school. And I don't think the elementary schools got out at all, but we were busing over kids from the elementary school. And I got pulled into the office and was like, Hey, so, you know, this happened at the high school. Um, I believe there was one, one death of a student and the shooter might've also been killed or killed himself. But, um, this is what happened. Like kids are going to ask questions. You don't get to answer them. Like this is for the parents to answer. So best you get to do is just shut your mouth and try to redirect them. And so that was like, I was pulled into the office and basically told like, you, I need you to know that this thing happened and you can't talk about it. And so like the kids are, have heard things from other kids at school, or they may have overheard the teachers or whatever. And they have questions. It's like, sorry guys, like. I, the best I can do is try to distract you from your fear and let you know you're, we're doing our best to keep you safe, but we can't have this conversation. So yeah, teachers, um, besides that, I've also done the whole, like barricading yourself in the bathroom and trying to come up with games while you've got like 10 kids in a tiny little bathroom. Um, we're, we were not well prepared at all. And it's like, Hey, try to make this fun. It's like, we're stuffed into the bathroom like sardines, but yeah, so we'll try to make it fun. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. And it's once what, once twice a year, I think we had to practice it. We're, yeah. you, we're not getting trained on this stuff. No, and there's, there's, you got to understand. I mean, uh, the, the way things are approached right now, if you, if you understand it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's right. You are trying to scale a program to reach as many people as possible. So what do they do? They water it down to the, the most basic principles possible. Then you have to put those principles through the filter of liability and insurance and public opinion, uh, which again, in the middle of a violent action, public opinion doesn't matter. You know, surviving a violent threat, the, the main thought should be 
what makes sense now. And the person that's there should not only have the skill set to be able to, to make those judgment calls, but also have the, the, I, I hate saying permission. It needs to be self-permission, but essentially permission to do whatever is necessary to, to save as many lives, including their own. Uh, but we filter that through a bunch of liability and all this public opinion. And by the time it gets to anybody, the unfortunate result is a system that is not training anybody anything. And mm -hmm. instead, in many cases, giving them a false sense of security. And that is a terrifying combination. We're taking a very complex problem and we're simplifying it and telling people that the simplified version is all you need to know. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. Like you hear bang, bang noises and you can run away. Like, yeah, run away. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements that go into that. Are you healthy? Can you actually physically run? Um, you know, somebody who's fresh off of an ACL reconstruction is not going to run. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, now what are my options? Right. So it, it can get very complex in a lot of cases. And I understand what's happening where we come down to this idea of run, hide, fight. And the only thing we're teaching teachers and things like that is lockdown procedures. And, it, it, you know, admittedly, if executed well, it will resolve a significant amount of situations. The problem is the killings aren't happening in those situations. The killings are happening when there's not enough time uh, and there's not enough uh, warning or ahead of time where there's mm -hmm. not enough security measures in place. And there's always going to be a residual risk of that. And instead of avoiding the fact that there will always be residual risk and hoping that we're covering as much risk, or to be honest, in most cases, hoping it just never happens to us, you take a little bit of extra time and you have some rough conversations and you consistently train. And it doesn't need to be crazy. Like I said, I'm on the health and safety committee now for the school my kids are at. And right now I am proposing to them training measures. And my thoughts on training measures are completely different than their thoughts on training measures. Um, and mine are very simple. I would prefer, like you were saying, usually it's once or twice a year and it's something very simple. And nine times out of 10, it's just a drill mm -hmm. where I'm proposing to them like, hey, once a month, just give me an hour. I'd rather talk about this for an hour once a month than do a 10 hour training once a year. I would rather this be consistently on your mind and prepare you and we take this one step at a time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now we're getting into to policies and procedures around schools. <laughs> That can deter off of it a little bit, but, but you get the idea. It's a tough situation. And so coming back, you know, from where we came from as a parent, it's a terrifying conversation to have mainly because in most cases, the parents don't know what to say. They don't understand it. And it is terrifying to think about, um, you know, but the, one of the best ways to deal with fear is to slowly expose yourself to it voluntarily. And so the more you learn, that starts to become more powerful. And little by little, you start to, you know, kind of pull back the shroud of uncertainty and, and uh, you know, for lack of a better term or a better, less triggering term, ignorance, because now you know a little bit more and you understand how these things work. And then you can have not only good conversations with yourself and prepare yourself to protect your children, but also then be able to answer these questions downstream. Um, it's, it's a huge part of it that, you know, again, we all have very busy lives. So it's like asking somebody to add another thing to their, their chapter. But if you actually care about your kids and you put it in that regard, like prioritizing your children, well, all of a sudden, you know, modeling a, a pretty decent diet, modeling some good sleep and mental health behaviors and learning a little bit about violence, you know, you put it in the priority of what's this going to do to impact my kids. And all of a sudden it's like, well, shit, like 
this is what parenting is um, mm-hmm. at this point. It's, it's me exposing myself to the uncomfortable so that I can be in a position to, to better prepare them for it, to be in a better spot later on. Um, at least that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that opinion also. I mean, the workshop I met you at was called the Resilience Workshop, and it was a combination of the self-defense. There was some language work. Um, there were some other pieces, you know, ice baths and breath work. And, and for me, reflecting on that weekend, the last piece for me that I hadn't included in my life prior to that weekend was this self-defense piece to becoming completely resilient or completely (coughs) self-sufficient or prepared for, for life. Right. So like I've, I've have a background in fitness and wellness. I, I, you know, have done ice baths, I've done breath work, I've done all these things. And was it my first time doing any of that? No. Um, But it's not something that I've done consistently or that I feel actually prepared for. So um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point that that's kind of just could be, you know, a, a, as part of a holistic view of parenting, this piece could actually, could absolutely be a part of both for yourself, but also for what you're doing for your kids. So yeah, and you, you take, you take bullying and stuff like that into consideration. And, the, uh, you know, again, like we want to avoid fighting like the plague, but it's a lot easier to manage emotions and deal with stressful situations. If you have something you're confident in. So now imagine a kid that has the confidence of knowing if some kid were to lay hands on him, he at least understands a little bit about how to defend himself. And now before it even becomes a physical fight, that person approaches the conversation with a higher level of confidence and now can manage their emotions. They can set themselves up for success and potentially avoid the fight because they can actually manage the emotional things leading up to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's unfortunate, but you know, the, the lack of confidence is what bullies and, and, you know, predators prey on. Um, And so, you know, again, from the parents display, like you don't need to be a seasoned martial artist, but just imagine if you apply one hour a week into learning how to defend yourself, defend your kids, and then share that, you know, desire in some form or fashion with your kids to give them a little bit of confidence, a little more physical fitness, realize how much fun it can be to, you know, challenge themselves. I mean, the, the implications to that are huge for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's, you know, but it, it, it's intimidating. And by the time you get to it, it's like, well, oh man, it's like somebody needs to hold my hand the whole way. And you're not going to find that very often. So it comes down to a lot of pieces of the puzzle, but I mean, the implications to, to the adult's health and the kid's health afterwards to that is just massive, massive. Yeah. I love that. And if you view it as just another tool that you're giving your kids in their toolbox, and it's not something that, you know, I think, I think, parents might be hesitant because they think, well, if I teach my kid martial arts, then they're more likely to get in fights, right? Or they're more likely to be violent themselves. And I'm guessing it's oftentimes the opposite where yeah. because they do have these tools, like you said, they feel more confident. So they're less likely to have to use them because they have all these other ways of managing before they get there. So yeah, in self-defense, one of the, one of the things I explain to people is there's essentially two ways to resolve a fight. And not necessarily just two ways, but this is an example I usually give people. And that is through skill and experience and through aggression and violence. Well, the less skill and experience I have, 
I have to rely on aggression and violence to stop a fight. So imagine that, you know, again, take it into to you get attacked. Well, if, if uh, let's say an average size adult male, so whatever, like 5'10", 5'11", 195 pounds, decides they want to attack you. Are you more likely to be able to crush their head in with a fire extinguisher or wrestle them to the floor into a controlled position without harming them until police can show up? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, you, you can look at, at any of these cases where an untrained individual survives a violent attack by fighting back. And it's usually through sheer aggression and violence that they were able to survive that case in some form or fashion. We run into the same exact thing, and this is like a whole nother conversation, but we run into the same exact thing with, with law enforcement. They're not trained enough. So what ends up happening is they're limited. They have limited options to control people. Well, people that are very, very well-versed in fighting actually get to choose the level of aggression and violence. If I don't have those physical skill sets and I need to end a fight, which, you know, again, uh, uh, put a teacher in the middle of two kids are, are one is violently hitting the other one. Well, I can't just walk away from that. I mean, there's obviously right now, like, I guess the climate's a little different in that case, but if I'm like, I can't just watch one student mercilessly beat another kid and possibly kill him in some form or fashion, I have to get involved. Well, if I get involved and I have no background to control that kid, what are my options to either save that kid and protect him while also not hurting, not hurting the kid that's hurting the other kid. Right. And like, that's Mecca to everybody is how do I resolve a problem where nobody gets hurt? Not even the bad person. And it's like, well, I hate to tell you, but the best way to do that is be insanely talented at violence. If you're insanely talented at fighting and controlling people, you get to choose to control people without harming people. If you do not have those skill sets because you're not supplied to them or you choose not to have them and you decide to get involved or you decide to defend yourself, you're required to use high levels of violence. It's the only way to resolve that situation. So you're absolutely right. People that have more training actually have the ability to not hurt people if they decide to get physical. People that don't have that training you don't really have a lot of choice. You either take the beating, you run away if you can run away, or you have to get hyper-violent to be able to stop that situation. And that kind of sucks. And that's also the opposite of public opinion. But mm -hmm. as somebody who fights and anybody who spends time fighting, that is the absolute fact. And I've proven that time and time again uh, at different trainings for law enforcement departments, uh, brand new people that come into our gym to roll for the first time. I'm 170 pounds, 175 on a good day. I'm five foot eight. I'm not a big guy, but I can take, you know, I had this morning, we have a guy that's a blue belt jujitsu. The guy has two and a half, three years of training under his belt. He is six, four, 320 pounds. And I'm smothering his ass into the floor and he's not able to get out from underneath me. I'm not. A, so that is, that has nothing to do with aggression. That has everything to do with understanding how to fight and control people. Uh, and again, that's, but that's hard to see if you don't understand that. If you haven't been exposed to fighting, it's hard to understand that. It's like, no, more training equals more violence. And it's like, that's the, the complete opposite of, of what has been shown to be proven numerous and numerous and numerous and numerous times uh, in, in cases. So yeah, agreed on that part. <laughs> so we've talked about parents educating themselves, have, you know, having some skills themselves so that they can then teach their kids. Um, we've talked about talking to our children about honest situations and being able to titrate in 
you know, different games and different scenarios that are appropriate age level, anything else you would give parents, leave parents with um, to start this conversation, start doing this with their kids, remain safe as a family? Yeah, I would say uh, real quick, and I, I know we're trying to keep this to like 50-ish, so I'll, I'll, I'll give the short abridged on this. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a firearm in the house real quick and just a couple of things there because uh, it's a super important one. It's what I think that, again, like has implications way past just inside of the household. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll make this short and hopefully people can take this and go like, oh, crap, I should probably look into this a little bit more. <laughs> um, the first thing like right out of the gate is if you, if you do have firearms in the house, like you should absolutely be storing and securing them. That shouldn't be a conversation we have to have yet. It is a conversation we do have to have. Um, so that's the biggest thing right out of the gate is there are no loose anything, uh, in any way, shape or form. I've got like three different safes at my house, uh, depending on what they're necessary for. So securing the firearms and understanding the level that your kids can figure stuff like that out and making sure that we're thwarting that in and of its own right um, is a big one. But I think one of the biggest things, again, that, that uh, parents overlook and a lot of people that don't understand guns in the first place uh, are probably terrified by the thought of, but again, curiosity and ignorance is what is going to kill your kids. That is where your negligent discharges. That's where your uh, accidental shootings, that's where, I slept over a friend's house and they wanted to show me their dad's gun and somebody gets shot. The, that comes from curiosity mixed with ignorance, uh, a lack of exposure that uh, well, I want to know about this. My parents won't let me know about it. So I'm going to figure it out on my own, but I don't know how to do it safely. Um, so as early as you can start to safely expose the kids to the firearm, the better. And there are safe ways to do it. Uh, for instance, the first time that my son uh, was able to recognize that I carried a firearm, I, I carry a firearm anywhere I can safely carry it. Uh, I'm a firearms instructor, so I'm very well versed with them. <laughs> um, one of the simplest things was when I take my gun off and put it in the safe, that's an amazing opportunity to have a basic conversation about why does dad do it the very specific way that he does it? Why is the gun go in the safe in the first place? Notice how I'm holding the gun and pointing at certain directions, even though it's holstered, I still keep it pointed away from anything. Like having very, very simple conversations, starting to create simple boundaries. Like my son knows that if I'm uh, uh, taking my gun off, that I want him to stay within three feet of me, right? So like you don't get any closer than three feet. So he'll know that and to the point where if I'm walking in the room and he sees me open up the drawer where the gun safe is at, he will stop and keep his distance with it. So that's like one thing is like, how can I expose them to the idea that this is a thing? It's a serious thing. And there are some rules that we want to understand that's around it. Mm -hmm. From there, uh, the next thing that I usually suggest to people to take away some of the curiosity, because the kids are going to have curiosity about it. And the last thing you want to tell them is like, well, that's an adult thing. Like, don't go anywhere near my guns. Don't like that type thing. Cause all that's going to do is make them want to know more about it. And you're not giving them the credit, the information they need. Um, so one of the ways that you can kind of, kind of take the excitement out of it uh, and, and take away some of the mystique of it is uh, I'll actually, uh, as early as possible, I invited Maverick to clean guns with me. And then that way you can teach safe mechanics of the, the firearm, like how do we work with it? So, you know, we never point it anywhere near our trigger stays, our trigger finger stays off of it. We're going to lock it open. We're going to double check to make sure there's nothing inside of it before we even start to break it down. So they can get exposed to some of these basic rules that would originally be taught maybe on a range you know, we do it in this case. And now all of a sudden I I'm breaking the tool down into some of its simplest parts 
that then all of a sudden it's like, oh, dad, it's like really just a mixture of like metal, plastic and springs. It's not this mystic, magical thing. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a simple machine. It's like, yes, absolutely. Right. And it gets dirty and it's kind of a pain in the ass to clean. Right. So they're sitting there like scrubbing it with a toothbrush and they're like, this isn't fun. And I'm like, I know. Right. Like, (laughs) hey, but this is something we have to do to maintain the machine because it is just a machine. And so that's a really good way to, to get that in there. Um, and then I'll teach really, really simple mechanics. Now at the gym, obviously I have like training guns and training weapons and training tools. And one of those we have is called a cert pistol S I R T. And it's just a little laser gun. That's all it is. Um, and so I can actually teach, Hey, if we have a gun, this is where I put my finger. I don't, I point it only at things that are safe. I keep it in a generally safe direction. I don't point anywhere near it. And I can actually do lessons where if he starts to kind of like flag towards my daughter and be like, Hey Maverick, you know, where are we pointing at? And go, oh, wow. And he like kind of turns, goes away that way. So I'm introducing him with, to the idea of it in a, in a serious, but inert manner. There's absolutely no danger outside of him, maybe pointing the laser at her eyeball, which I'm teaching him not to do in the first place. Right. So you have like really, really easy ways to expose and, and curb the curiosity while starting to lay down the most basic principles. One, this is a very serious tool right? And there are rules. These are the rules. The first rule is anytime you see a gun, you do not touch it unless dad is around and you ask dad's permission first. So that all of a sudden we're saying like, if you were to find yourself exposed to a gun, here's the basic rule. Don't freaking touch it. Go get an adult, get myself, and then we can touch it or we can explore whatever that is if it makes sense. So you're laying that rule out. Now, God forbid they're in a situation where one of their friends has a gun And now what do they know? Now the second basic rule is you don't point it near anyone. So now all of a sudden, if somebody else is breaking that rule, they know this is unsafe and I need to remove myself from this situation. And we've actually had that where my son has literally like kids will be playing with fake guns in the gym and he'll literally start calling them out when they flag people. Um, So you're introducing them to these basic rules. And then from there, you know, finding the right age to teach them how to shoot, I think is a, a, Depends on what kind of a weapon you have, what kind of experience you have. I think that's something where, okay, now we're getting into where I better have some really good exposure and experience to this. Um, But like for me, I've taken Maverick to the range, not to shoot, but to be around the range and to wear the earmuffs and to watch us do all the safety protocols and understand exactly what's going on. Um, I also happened to take him on a day that was like 23 degrees outside. So he started realizing like, wow, sometimes shooting's not fun. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you're mixing these two worlds of like, it's not just fun and games, you know, this is kind of a serious matter. Um, so to, to boil that down, you know, first off, you secure the firearms, don't mess around with them, have high training. If you own a gun, you got to train. As far as I'm concerned, you know, everybody that owns a gun should have anywhere from 20 to 30 hours of training a year, uh, if not more. Um, you know, so train yourself first, secure the guns, and then expose them to it, especially when there's questions. Because if you can curb the ignorance by giving them information, and you can curb the curiosity by satisfying the curiosity and exposing them to it, to me, that's where you're going to avoid the avoidable situations. Them getting, you know, shot in a crossfire in a bad neighborhood or in an active shooter situation, that's not a gun. That's not a me teaching kids gun safety perspective. That's a really, really shitty situation. But where a lot of these incidental firings are happening, where kids are grabbing guns and accidentally shooting parents or shooting each other, where kids are messing around with guns and shooting themselves, like that type stuff, that is manageable. and We can manage that. 
And that is where we start. And we cut a lot of that stuff down. And it, it comes down to exposure, to take away the ignorance and to take away the curiosity as much as possible. And then again, age appropriate, like we talked about the conversations, as they get older, they should know how to use those guns. And to me, that's getting them around guns. And if you don't own guns, find somebody that is very, very, very dependable. And I would still expose both yourself and your kids to guns. Because again, if you're terrified of the gun, then it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You're going to cut your legs off before you ever have another chance to survive you or your children. And it's okay for you to be afraid of it. But again, we don't want to instill fears into the kids. We want to instill respect. You should respect how serious this firearm is. And it does require a lot of training and it does require a lot of focus. But if you're afraid of it, that's, that's not a good place to be. And that's where a lot of bad things happen in, in my experience. So, so that, I want to make sure we got that because I know we wanted to, to cover into that. And hopefully if anybody's got questions, they're welcome to reach out to me. Um, and, there, and there's tons of incredible firearms instructors and books and everything on this topic. Just like everything else we talked about, it's a serious matter. So as a, as a parent, if you have a firearm in the house, that knowledge should be something that you're handing down. It, it should not be a mystical tool in the corner that, you know, you, it, it just, man, bad stuff happens when curiosity and ignorance hit, you know what I mean? And where can parents go to reach out to you and to find you and ask these questions? Yeah. Um, so you can find me primarily on Instagram uh, at Janetti Aaron. So J-A-N-N-E-T-T-I-A-A-R-O-N. Um, I'm primarily on there. I don't really answer Facebook messages too much. Um, if it was up to me, I wouldn't be on any social media, but it's kind of the, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the beast that you have to control if you're going to run a business. Uh, but I, I always reply to DMs and things like that on Instagram. Uh, and then if you're a little more, uh, you know, formal and not a, an IG lover in any way, shape or form, uh, you can reach me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at EndeavorDCF.com. So that's E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-D as in dog, C as in cat, F as in fish.com. Um, and I answer my emails twice a week. So if you send an email and you don't hear from me for like two or three days, that's totally normal and I'm not ignoring you, but you will get an email. Uh, those are the two best ways to find me. Awesome. I appreciate you digging into that topic specifically. Mm -hmm. um, it's close to home for us. We own some and are planning to get more um, and have not fully broached that with our children yet. So um, that was as much for me as it was for our listeners. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And again, any other questions, you know, let me know. I mean, I, I, I know you too, so you're in good hands as far as that goes. So. But uh, yeah, it's an important topic to cover early enough. Yeah. Like I said, kids love information. We all know that. So the, the sooner we can get into it and, and expose them to that stuff in a meaningful manner, the better off they're going to be. Better off than probably most of us were <laughs> early on the rebel days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Aaron. Um, I had fun. It was, I think, very impact, going to be very impactful for people mm -hmm. to listen to. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. We had a really great time talking with our guests today and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure to check out the show notes to get more information on today's guests and to check out what they are up to. To learn more about Melissa and Kristen, follow the Purposeful Parent on Instagram. You can also check out what Melissa is up to by following Inner Architect on Instagram. And to keep up with Kristen, follow Language Ninjas on Instagram. 
We'd love to hear how you are choosing to purposefully parent. So please feel, feel free to reach out and say hi.